It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. In this fight between the legislature and the governor and his powers, he is definitely trying to take Mondays back. (laughs) They can have Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. But on Mondays... He's the star of the show. He certainly is. We're in, what, week three of the Monday announcement from the governor? Might be week four. I don't know. Okay. All right. Mondays are for the governor. Yeah. So you do have that power. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So this week he rolled out some recommendations about the governance structure of the UNC system, former UNC President Margaret Spellings. She chaired this commission. By the way, Margaret Spellings was Department of Education Secretary under President George W. Bush. Rolling out this announcement about shared appointment powers to the UNC board. Right now, it is exclusive to the General Assembly. Governor Cooper has said that it lacks diversity, mainly political diversity. It does have some racial diversity to it and gender diversity, but not so much between the Democrats and Republicans. That group proposed expanding the Board of Governors. Right now, it's at 24, and so they would like an expansion to 32 or 36. Something else that was in that report that I thought was interesting is it did have a cooling off period. Yeah, for General Assembly legislators and lobbyists, they would have to take a year off. And I find that particularly interesting because I believe the Senate has proposed that lobbyists should not be on the Board of Governors. Uh, Yeah, I think Senator Jim Perry had legislation he filed about that. Yeah, plus one for mentioning Perry today. (laughs) Then there was this creation of the Center of Higher Education Governance. What does that do? This would essentially give folks who are going to be on the board more training about how to govern and research on governance. One of the complaints that apparently staff had heard, I read this in the assembly article, staff said that board members came to meetings unprepared, they hadn't read the materials, and so they were heavily reliant on staff. So it's worth noting that this commission at one time, had House Majority Leader John Bell serving on the commission. We read that he didn't attend any meetings, said in a text message, I believe to some reporters, or at least to one reporter, that this commission isn't exactly what he thought he was signing up for. So I think he is officially on the commission, but he was not a part of this report. Within an hour of Governor Cooper's announcement about these recommendations. Uh, Senator Phil Berger, along with the Senate caucus members, or at least most of them, they held a press conference at the General Assembly on Monday, rolling out some election reform bills that they were pushing. So a couple of weeks ago, they rolled out a different elections bill, and that was Senate Bill 747. That's the bill about absentee ballots and process in election administration. This bill that they rolled out on Monday is specifically about the makeup of the State Board of Elections. So just a primer here. At the State Board of Election level, the governor, whoever the governor is, 
it's a Democrat right now, Roy Cooper, while he appoints all the members of the State Board of Election, his party gets three of the seats. He gets the chair and then two other seats. And then the other party, the Republican Party right now, they get the two minority seats. So it's basically a 3-2 board at the state board of election level and also at the local level. All the county boards of election, they are controlled in that same way. Under this bill, that would change. There would not be an odd number of members. It would be an even number of members. With that change, it gives the appointment power to each party, the president pro tem and the speaker of the house, of course. Right now, the Democrats are the minority party. Their minority leaders would be the ones to appoint the minority members of the board. This has become a very divisive issue, and we saw it play out All week, not only was there tension inside the General Assembly, we heard from legislators on both sides about whether they supported this bill or loathed this bill. And we also saw it seep out into social media. Claims that this is a power grab. Democrats were saying this. Republicans saying, what's a power grab? It's an even split. We're 2-2, and that's a good thing. Republicans are saying, we're going to require you to work together. Democrats are saying, what you're doing is you're going to create a stalemate, and then ultimately the broker of a stalemate goes to the General Assembly. That bill moved through redistricting this week along with that process election bill introduced a couple weeks ago they had the press conference on that two weeks ago but didn't move until this week is senate bill 747 and that bill does a couple of different things one of them is if you go to an early voting site and do same day registration which is allowed that would be a provisional ballot and folks could challenge that So if you're same-day registering, that ballot could be challenged, Mm -hmm. not just early voting. You have to be a same-day registrant. Yes. Got it. Additionally, if you have an absentee ballot, that has to be received on election day. It would have the same cutoff time as people who are voting in person, 730. It has to be received by the board at that same time. And the idea around that is they want these elections called election night. There's some frustration that elections aren't being called until Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I do want to note that I think Senator Newton said that that particular provision would align North Carolina with 30 states that have that same cutoff. One other piece of that is that it prohibits local board of elections from accepting private donations to fund their work. And that's kind of known as the Zuckbucks provision. Yeah. So Facebook or Mark Zuckerberg, his foundation was donating pins and stickers and things like that to local boards of election that would be out. The last provision I want to highlight in this is that it allows mail-in ballots, the envelopes that they are sent in to be viewed by the public, not the ballot itself, but the envelope. Another piece of legislation that seemed to divide the General Assembly, specifically the Senate, because it was moving in the Senate this week. That is the transgender athlete bill. That bill had a successful hearing 
yesterday, Wednesday, by the way, we're recording on Thursday afternoon. It got a successful hearing in Senate Education Committee yesterday. We saw two versions of this bill pass earlier in the session, a House bill and a Senate bill. The House's bill seems to be the one that got the blessing to move. The Senate bill, we are pretty sure, will become a zombie over on the House side. They can use that to gut, replace, and do something else. But right now, the House bill is moving. It went to Senate rules this morning, had a lot of speakers this morning. Of course, Senator Bill Rabin, he just opens it up. He says he wants to hear from everybody. He might not agree with them, but he enjoys hearing from the public. It had a party line vote today in Senate rules, and we think that bill will be in the Senate next week on the floor going over to the House. There, it will just need a concurrence vote. And then it will be vetoed by the governor, and then they will override the veto. Read the book, seen the movie, know what's happening. Yes. Speaking of read the book, seen the movie, (laughs) let's talk about the budget timeline. We got indications this week from Senator Phil Berger that we might be getting into July, that first or second week. By the way, please don't be the first week in July, as in we're going to nix that July 4th recess we've gotten so accustomed to. But June 30th may not be the mark. What's interesting is that there has been a rumor around the General Assembly that committees are going to shut down. We've heard that for like three or four weeks, but there are still a lot of, as we call them at the General Assembly, hostages. That is bills that one chamber wants the other chamber to move, but you know, let's say the Senate wants the House to move, but the House is holding the Senate's bills. And Those all have not been dislodged, so I don't feel like committees are imminently shutting down. Combine the fact that we won't have a budget maybe until the first or second week in July, it added fuel to the fire that we might not get out of session in July. I heard someone say this week, a legislator, it might not be until the middle of August when we get out, which leads me to something I've been kicking myself about this week. Believing it. Believing it. Believing that we were going to be out July 1. Yeah. That is. Yeah. Because I tell my wife, this is the year, hun. We might be able to take a July vacation or in August. We might be able to go somewhere, like plan a trip. And I always take the bait, Sky. Well, this year felt different because of the schedule of the budget. That's true. We had budgets out so early. Combine that with... I'm here to validate the lies you tell your family. (laughs) Super majority. (laughs) But they're hung up on some pretty big issues. We talked about it last week, the tax package. Both chambers want to cut taxes. The Senate would like to speed those tax cuts up. The House wants to kind of pump the brakes. And of course, there's also some disagreement over salaries and spending. That's all being done behind closed doors. But yeah, session might go well into the summer. Just a little note, the Speaker said at the end of session on Wednesday, the House wouldn't have votes Thursday or Tuesday, but House Republicans would have a mandatory caucus about, quote, a lot of things Mm -hmm. on Tuesday. We know that to be medical marijuana. And he also noted they would talk about session length. After years of talking about having him on the podcast, this week we spoke with Treasurer Dale Falwell. 
The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. State Treasurer Dale Falwell, welcome to the Do Politics Better podcast. Thank you for having me. Start us off by telling us, what does the state treasurer do? What's your average day look like? Uh, the average day starts at uh, around 5 a.m. Uh, it goes to about 10.30 or 11 o'clock at night. Uh, and I generally uh, describe what I do as being the keeper of the public purse in the, who's in the check delivery business. Mm-hmm. Uh, I uh, got asked by a fourth grader the other day, do I sign a $1 bill? It's a very logical question to ask because that's where people most often see the word treasurer. Uh, we don't sign the $1 bill, but we manage $250 billion $1 bills, one of the largest pools of public money in the world. Mr. Treasurer, you've had this position since 2016? Correct. Yeah. Uh, January 1st, 2017. I was elected in 2016. Prior to that, you served in the General Assembly. You were elected in 2004. In between the General Assembly and the Treasurer's Office, you worked in the McCrory administration. I did. I was assigned as the uh, person who was responsible for fixing one of the most broke and broken unemployment systems in the United States. Uh, your listeners will think that's the same word, but it's really not. Uh, broke means that we owed uh, the federal government nearly $2.7 billion uh, in unemployment debt. And all the employers across North Carolina have been paying food and SUDA surcharges uh, basically since 9-11. And uh, if any of your listeners wake up thinking about food and sur- SUDA surcharges, they should probably get a life. <laughs> but there are some of your listeners out there who actually have to sharpen their pencil and they understand what payroll tax surcharges are. Mm-hmm. And it was broken because our quality scores were even behind Guam and Puerto Rico. Really? Uh, And I know it's an inelegant word to use on a podcast, but we sucked. We got money to people who didn't deserve it, and we were not great at getting money to people who did deserve it. So in a period of 31 months, uh, we were able to, thanks to the employers, the taxpayers in North Carolina, the General Assembly who gave me the tools, we were able to... Uh, pay off that $2.7 billion in unemployment debt and build a $1.1 billion surplus, which ultimately resulted in a $4 billion surplus on St. Patrick's Day of, of 2020 as we were on the front end of nearly 1 million people being unemployed because of COVID. You are what I describe as a tinkerer a fixer. Mm-hmm. And this goes back to me knowing you in the mid 2000s when you served at the General Assembly. You would see a problem. You would spend some a lot of time figuring out what the problem was, why the problem. You would file legislation and you would fix the problem. Then you mm-hmm. go on to the McCrory administration. Then you go on to the treasurer's office. Mm-hmm. This is a general theme of you. Does it Harken back to your days as a motorcycle guy where you're constantly adjusting, fixing, tinkering. Yeah, I'm still a motorcycle guy. So <laughs> it comes back to a couple of things. I'm a very spiritual person, but I, I don't talk about that uh, in uh, the context that a lot of other people use their, their quote, connection with God. Mm-hmm. Other than tell your listeners that uh, God uh, blessed me with the 
vision to see what needs to be seen, uh, the humility to listen for what needs to be heard, and the courage to act on what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not the smartest person in the room. Uh, Anyone who would look at my high school transcripts, my Winston-Salem State transcripts, or my UNCG transcripts could quickly determine mathematically that I'm not the smartest person in the room. Mm -hmm. But I'm a person who has the vision, the humility, and the courage to act and see uh, what needs to be done. And from the time that you and I have spent together, I've spent all my time in Raleigh focused on saving lives, saving minds, and saving money. (laughs) And that's all I've ever focused on, and that's what I've continued to do at the Treasurer's Office. Can you talk a little bit about how the money that you work with at the mm-hmm. treasurer's office, how that affects the average North Carolinian? Uh, I'd be glad to. I hope it doesn't put your listeners to sleep. <laughs> uh, but um, we are in the check delivery business. The amount of money we manage, Sky, is eight times the size of the state budget. Mm. Eight times. We're spending about eight hundred million dollars every 30 days just for pension benefits health care benefits and prescription drug benefits for those that teach protect and otherwise serve we have nearly 1 million people on this pension plan now so that's one out of 10 adult north carolinians is connected with this pension plan in some way shape or form and my reason for giving you all those numbers is that uh, i dare say for all your listeners that behind their uh, for our public servants, behind their faith and their health and their family, the two most important things in their lives are the things that I have respon- we have responsibility for at the treasurer's office, which is the safety and security of their pension as well as their health plan. I want to talk about your service in the General Assembly. We want to get to some of the recent news about you, but uh, I've always wanted to ask you this, Mr. Treasurer. When you entered into the General Assembly, it was uh, Democratic-controlled. I think that first General Assembly may have been split in the House Mm -hmm. uh, 60-60 with Mm co-speakerships. Your ability as a conservative Republican, you were never shy about how conservative you are on issues. You managed to have, I felt like, a bill on the floor every week or every two weeks. Mm -hmm. You moved a lot of legislation. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you think about the kindergarten start, Mm -hmm. that that parents, uh, as they're enrolling in school for next year, that date was set by legislation you passed because you were trying to benefit kids. How did you manage as a Republican, to have so many bills on the House floor that made it to the governor's desk, and you were the primary sponsor, usually number one. Usually number, always number one, maybe the only one. Right, right. <laughs> uh, because the things that I worked on, people didn't quite understand what the importance of these things were. A few things that I want to uh, mention in regard to that. Uh, number one is that, and I hope this comes across uh, the way that I mean for it to on your podcast the things I love are in Winston-Salem. Yeah. They're not in Raleigh. Uh, my wife, our family, our friends, my routines, my motorcycles, all the places I used to work and frequent, they're all in Winston-Salem. So if you're 110 miles away and you're away from home that many days a week and you're half-assed at what you do, what does that say about what you left behind? So the reason that I work so hard is out of respect for my wife, my family, my friends, my routines, and my motorcycles. Hmm. Because if I'm going to be away from them, I want to give it everything that I can 
and then some. As it relates to the legislation, the first people that I met with when I had a, a particular piece of legislation uh, were the governors, Governor Easley and Governor Purdue. And I said, this is what I'm trying to fix. This is how it impacts the people you represent. And I'm going to get a bill to your desk that you're going to be able to say yes to. So I started there. And in the minority party for six years, I had 21 major pieces of legislation. Mm-hmm. Not where we were renaming the, the what kind of barbecue we eat or something right. like that. Serious pieces of legislation that save lives, save minds, and save money. And then I would go to Speaker Black and then Speaker Hackney and President Bass Knight, uh, Bill Owens, the rules chairman, and as well as Tony Rand. And I'd explain to them how it would benefit the majority party. And a lot of them were very difficult, but I always, always say to folks like you that an accomplishment is only an accomplishment for as long as it lasts. You take the kindergarten cutoff bill, it was eight words long, hmm. not eight sentences, not eight paragraphs. And it's made a, a huge difference. Now, since we have you and Sky sitting here, I will be a little bit more inelegant for a moment. Okay. At the kindergarten level, uh, the girls are a year and a half cognitively uh, smarter than the boys. And most would say we never catch up. <laughs> but if you want to put this in visual context, and you know having children, when you have a four-year-old boy who's basically barely potty trained in the same classroom with a six-year-old girl who happens to know her colors, her letters, and her numbers, who fails in that relationship? Everyone. The four-year-old boy didn't get what he needed. The six-year-old girl is bored and didn't get what she needed. The teacher is struggling trying to figure out how to meet the needs of these folks. So we're very proud of that, and that, that, uh, that legislation still uh, exists. Governor Easley, when I first met with him through Franklin Freeman, Franklin would always call me at 4 o'clock on a Thursday say, the governor can meet with you now, but I'm sure you're on your way back to the district. I think Franklin actually invited me, hoping that I would be, you know, in Alamance County by now. <laughs> and I never forget meeting with him on this issue, and, and he somehow or another had been confused that this is about when school is supposed to start which had nothing to do with Save Our Summers. After he sat there with me for a moment, he said, "Uh, Mr. Representative, I'm a little disappointed. And I said, why is that? And he said, because the only reason you're sitting in here meeting with me on this topic is you have a reputation of knowing your subject. And the only thing I'd said up to this point very quickly is I'd said, you know, this doesn't impact my family and it didn't impact yours. This is when Cynthia and I and our three children were born. Uh, This is when you and the First Lady and Michael Jr. were born. And I went about two minutes past that when he made that comment to me. And, and I said, sir, I, and I was rolling back in my head because I was very nervous, like I am now. I was rolling <laughs> back in my head about uh, what I'd said. And he said, no, what I'm disappointed in is that you did not go back and look at what the kindergarten cutoff date was in North Carolina 51 years ago. And somehow or another, this had impacted him. Oh. And then we started our dialogue right. about what we're trying to fix. And he was a big help to me. I'm a conservative who can explain conservatism to people without offending them. Right, <laughs> right. Which every conservative, and the root word of conservative is to conserve. It just starts with what the word means. Right. But as a conservative sitting on the back row with my voting record, all I asked the governor to do was to help me get a hearing because Frank Porter Graham group was against it. J.B. Buxton was against it. But the teachers were for it, as you, you remember, because yeah. the teachers could tell you without any files or any computers, they could tell you within four weeks of a new classroom of kids, they could tell you about what month these kids were born in. 
in that case, very quickly, I had the vision to see what needs to be seen. I had the humility to listen to the teachers about what needed to be heard. And I had the courage to act on what needed to be fixed. Tying this together with what Brian said about you serving in the house, before that, you were a member of the school board. Mm-hmm. How did you get into politics? What made you want to be on the school board? Well, it started with uh, running for city council against Larry Womble. Oh, yeah? Yes. Okay. And uh, I was on the uh, uh, City of Winston-Salem Efficiency Task Force. Okay. And my proposal then was for the city to spend more money, not something you hear from Dale Falwell or a conservative. <laughs> But I showed them the way that they could spend more money and buy more police cars and get more useful life out of their police cars by allowing the officers to drive those cars home every night. Because we were losing about an hour of every police shift of people transferring their equipment back and forth. Mm. Every shift, times hundreds of police officers. Uh, we were in sitting with people with police cars that weren't clean. Mm. <laughs> I forecast that if we could buy more police cars and let these officers drive these cars home, and have these cars sitting in the neighborhood 16 hours a day as a deterrent to crime, that we would actually make money. And that's where this whole idea of fixing things uh, came from. And then there was an opening on the school board, and I was uh, appointed and elected uh, at an at-large seat twice in Forsyth County. And then I'm still on the state school board, so it's, it's like my world has come full circle. Your ability to explain complex issues so that the average person can understand it. It's pretty amazing. I've always enjoyed talking policy with you. I do most of the listening as you use props and examples, and you just did it for us here. I know this probably comes from just who you are, but what kind of work did you do? How did you make your money for your family? I'm sure it wasn't serving for the public here. And it goes back really to your earlier question about uh, you know pushing through legislation in the minority party. When you're poor, there's no room for error. I just talked to some high school kids about this. It doesn't matter how handsome you are, how attractive you are, how rich you are, how smart you are. When you're poor, there is no room for error, and you got to get it right. Mm-hmm. And I was a motorcycle mechanic for eight years, and I worked on the motorcycles of some pretty rough folks. Mm-hmm. And when you're working on the motorcycles of, of rough individuals who don't tolerate error very well, mm-hmm. and there's only two wheels on them and not four. Right. <laughs> Uh, you know, you, you learn to, you know, just focus on getting it right. Uh, in answer to your um, specific question, uh, it just basically has to do with uh, my mission was to come down and, and save lives, minds, and money. As I said when I announced my candidacy for governor, I've been sweating since the age of 10. Mm. That means that I know how to sweat, and I know where the average citizen is sweating, and I know what they're sweating about. And as the... Uh, CEO of the biggest business in the state, which is actually the role of the governor, uh, you have to know those things. Mm -hmm. In addition to, you have to always be able to advocate for the invisible because I was one of those for most of my life. Do you still feel like you are poor? And I'm going to put a little context here. You just pulled up to our office and you did not want to pay for street parking. Uh, I have seen you take a lunch at Snoopy's Hot Dogs because it's two for one day. I have seen you pull a Taco Bell bean burrito out of your saddlebag on your motorcycle, take a bite because you've been eating on it all day, and you complain that 79 cents for that bean burrito was too much money. (laughs) (laughs) Most folks who grow up poor fear going back to being poor. 
do you wake up in the morning and not see the success you are? Or do you still feel like you're that kid that's poor? I've had the pleasure of mostly blue collar individuals to stand on the shoulders of people who expected the best out of me, but also wanted the best for me. I think the thing that you're mentioning, I, I don't think it ever goes away. So I think that when you grow up uh, in that situation, that, that never leaves you. And it's important that it never leaves me as the keeper of the public purse because I uh, constantly talk about the forgotten woman and forgotten man in North Carolina. I describe these individuals as someone who uh, doesn't have enough money to have political influence. And I'm sorry to have to say that. But in one respect, I'm not sorry because I've been the best treasurer money can't buy and I'm going to be the best governor money can't buy. Beyond what you've talked about today, I believe before even you announced you're running for governor, Mm -hmm. you were traveling the state and doing sort of town halls, listening to the people, like you said, you know what they're sweating. What Mm -hmm. is it that you believe the average North Carolinian is sweating right now? I have traveled the state for the last seven years as the keeper of the public purse because I, I wear 20 hats. Not just the pension health care, but I chair the state banking commission, the local government commission. And then anytime that I'm asked to speak anywhere, I try to combine that with presenting money to people out of nccash.com. But to specifically answer your question, I think at the end of the day, people just want to be spoken to like adults. And what they hear makes common sense. Now, the second thing they demand, I think, more than ever is they want transparency in their government. They know that something's wrong. And the third thing is that as it relates to elections, I believe that people are sick and tired of the drama. Uh, They're realizing that there are people that are making hundreds of millions of dollars on keeping our society divided, Hmm. not unified. And lastly, I just think that they want somebody to vote for, not against. It just seems like, and I'm looking at both of you and your uh, ages, probably for most of your life, that most of the election decisions that you've made have generally been you voting against someone instead of for, for someone. And I've always tried to get give people an opportunity to vote for me. In the last two presidential elections, uh, T is for treasurer. It's the last name on the front of the ballot. There's no straight party voting anymore. I've been outspent three and four to one in both those elections. And at the end of the day, even with my name being on the bottom of the ballot, uh, ended up getting more votes than anyone who's ever run for president of the United States in North Carolina. I think that when you look at the heat map of where my votes come from, it comes from you know winning 86 counties, but also having a tremendous overvote in Mecklenburg and Wake, Guilford, Buncombe, New Hanover, and Forsyth, my home county. I just feel like that this is who I am, and this is what I'm going to represent. And the final thing I'll say is that people want consistency in their elected officials. Uh, they don't want a person who... Uh, supposedly manages their personal affairs one way, they manage their campaign money one way, and then all of a sudden as a public servant, they manage their public service life one way. People want consistency across the board, and that's what I've always given them. So that feels somewhat like a hint at one of your opponents as you're running for governor. You announced this year that you're running for governor. It's already a three-person primary, Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, former Congressman Mark Walker, and you, the front runner, many believe is Mark Robinson. He is a gifted speaker, has said a lot of things that have uh, made it onto the front page of the paper, caused a lot of controversy, but many folks think that he's raised so much money, he has an ability to attract crowds, 
Can you talk about the context of how you've won elections, who you are, your ability to bring people together versus your mm-hmm. opponents? Let me start by saying that uh, I'm not the biggest person in the tra- in the governor's race. I'm not the tallest person in the governor's race. I'm just the only Dale. So if people just remember Dale, I'm going to be okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The polls um, reflect exactly you. You you were accurate in what you just described, uh, but the green flag hasn't dropped on this race yet, nor is the checker flag. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end of the day, um, I'm going to let them be who they are and I'm going to be who I am. Because as I said earlier to Sky, I think people are really yearning for someone who talks to them like adults and what they say makes common sense. And I think that's what people and are able to explain their point of view without offending people. Uh, and that's what I've always been able to do. And that's what I'm going to do over the next nine months. In a lot of my conversations with either politicians, folks in the media, folks in academia. It is across the board people see the lieutenant governor as a general election problem. That's got to be a part of your pitch as well. Like mm-hmm. you can you can go red meat in the primary, but you got to you know, you've got to win well, like you said you won 86 counties mm-hmm. as treasurer. I mean, that that's going to be hard to do when you're so bombastic. Number one, I'd never underestimate or mischaracterize the voters. I think they're very smart. Mm-hmm. Uh, the voters fully understand that with everything that's going to go on over the next nine months, once they cast that vote and that selection is made, you can't just leave the tag on this garment and then in April decide you want to return it. You know, there's a lot of things in our lives. We can, if we don't really like it, we can just return it. Whether it's a meal, I've never returned a meal at Snoopy's, by the way. Just want to say that for the record. <laughs> uh, you know, whether it's a meal uh, or, or whether it's a garment or what, whether, whatever it is, uh, something you might order online, mm-hmm. uh, this is not something you can return. So the next nine months are going to be talking about not just my ballot strength in the general election, but talk about really what conservatism is. The Republican Party is the third party in this state, the unaffiliated is the number one registrated group. The Democrats are number two and the Republicans are number three. Mm-hmm. And that's not emotional or political for your listeners. That's just, that, that, that's mathematical. Mm-hmm. Why do you want to be governor? There's still things that need to be fixed. Uh, there's many, many opportunities for changes uh, in the DOT, which I sounded the alarm on four years ago and no one believed me, but it ended up being correct. There's still lots of opportunities uh, for DHHS. You know, the governor is the largest employer of people in this state. And there's an opportunity to build a culture of common sense and conservatism uh, the way that I've done at every state agency that I've run and as the, as the keeper of the public purse. And there's still a lot more to do in public education. Uh, I put out a tweet last week that, that uh, talked about some of the experiences that I observed as a member of the Council of State. Uh, we're going to convene the Council of State in a transparent way. And uh, we're going to follow Robert's Rules of Order. People are going to know how people vote. Mm-hmm. Um, I suspect that, and God forbid this would ever happen again, that we would ever face another situation where, uh, where we would need to shut down our schools and shut down our economy. Right. It's personal when we've now had a generation of folks who, have, who are never going to get the joy of achievement and the upward mobility they need because of the shutdown of our schools and the shutdown of our economy. The governor should be someone who has the capability of running the biggest business in the state Mm -hmm. has the capability of sitting down with people who want to expand or relocate into North Carolina and talk to them like adults Mm -hmm. 
and has the capability, as I said earlier, to see what needs to be seen. And as a Quaker, once you see something, uh, you can't unsee it. Listen for what needs to be heard and, and act on what needs to be done. At the end of the day of all that, it, it's very important to realize that the next governor of North Carolina is going to have to be on high alert on how to protect our state from the federal government. I say that in a mathematical sense. If you look at all the hundreds of millions and billions of dollars we've saved at the treasurer's office, a lot of that has been completely wiped out because of the increased cost of uh, bus tires and gasoline and paper towels and light bulbs and the general cost of running our state government. I think Washington, D.C., our federal government's addiction for money is the single biggest thing the 76th governor of North Carolina is going to have to deal with. Mm. And I'm uniquely qualified to do that. If you had a magic wand and you could fix one thing in our politics, and that could be policy or political, what would it be? To have the smartest and most commonsensical fourth graders in the United States. Oh, yeah. And how would that happen? <laughs> well, it'll, it'll happen like an ant eats a ham biscuit one bite at a time. But you have to have a mission. You have to have a goal. Uh, and you have to get out. I mean, benchmarks are important. But I don't want to be the best relative to other people's poor performance. I, was, I just want to be the best. Mm -hmm. And what does that get us? As simple as that sentence is, the smartest and most commonsensical fourth graders in the United States, 10 years later, get us the smartest workforce in the United States. I see. 10 years later, get us the smartest entrance to community college in the United States. Yeah. 10 years later, get us the most qualified people who can actually take it, avail themselves of our higher education system within state tuition. That's what having the smartest and most commonsensical fourth graders get you. Well, State Treasurer Dell Falwell, we appreciate everything you do for North Carolina, your service at the school board level, the General Assembly, the executive branch, now as State Treasurer, and candidate for governor. You certainly know how to do politics better. Thank you for being on the podcast today. Well, thank you for having me. I hope all your uh, listeners have a blessed day and uh, when the green flag drops, they'll be able to go to dalefallwell.com and learn more about all this. The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information. Dale Falwell was one of my favorite legislators to work with when he served in the North Carolina House. And he really put on a masterclass of how a minority legislator, Republican, at the time it was Democratic controlled, how you can get things done by positioning yourself in a strategic way. Um, I got to know him. He had just gotten elected. I was working for a child advocacy organization. We worked on a lot of issues together. He really is a special guy. We wish him the best of luck in his race for governor, thanking him for his service, of course, as our North Carolina treasurer. But thank you, Mr. Treasurer, for being on the podcast and sharing your story. Tweet of the week. The Tweet of the Week is sponsored by the North Carolina Pork Council, representing hog farmers around the state working hard to do agriculture better. 
Today, hog farms are reducing their carbon footprint by covering lagoons, reducing emissions, and generating renewable natural gas. To learn more, visit ncpork.org. This week's Tweet of the Week is from Kirk Osteen. He often wins Tweet of the Week. Hmm. He's at Kirk Osteen on Twitter, and it says, Tough but fair. And it is a quote tweet of Mike Solana saying, Tables turning. And the headline is, Presidential candidate Joe Exotic says he will, and maybe you forgot Joe Exotic is running, so I just want to remind you that of right now, says he will not pardon Trump if elected. He didn't pardon me, so I won't pardon him. And again, Kirk's tweet says, tough but fair. (laughs) (laughs) Joe Exotic, he sounds like a mainstream candidate for 2024. Yeah, you know... On TikTok, one of his sounds is trending. What is it? I can't say it. Speaking of the pandemic and TikTok that you know really came up with the pandemic, there's this trend on TikTok where you talk about things like you just don't understand. Mm-hmm. So I was telling you about a couple of them. But first, what are some things you don't understand? Like you cannot wrap your head around it. I made a convenient list while you're thinking. Uh, I, I don't understand people backing into parking spaces what is people's obsession they like attention with backing Just like you like attention you get it other ways i watched i watched someone today you back into your parking space that's because, i just watched you do it an hour ago that's because i have a i rented a space here at our office we were given a space when we bought the office then we have to rent another one It is a very small space, I think probably for a motorcycle or something, but my little Mini Cooper fits in it. Mm -hmm. But in order for me to open the door... Has that been a theme throughout your life? (laughs) (laughs) In order for me to open my door, because it's up against a fence, I have to back in. But I think I find it so cumbersome and stupid, and I'm, I'm adjusting the car. It's just easier to pull in front forward. What are people doing... By backing into spaces. I was told it was about delayed gratification, which I find absurd. I My neighbor... My you know neighbor, I back into my garage because if I back out, it takes me way more time because there's a brick wall behind Okay, me. you have a reason. Something I don't understand, a couple of things that are along the same lines. One, how did we as a society decide what words are curse words and what words were okay to say? Yeah. Like, where did that come from? I don't understand. And then... Similarly, who had the first last name? <laughs> yeah, like what was Adam? See, now you're boggled, right? If we came from the same people, two people, how did we start last names? Right. <laughs> yeah. See, I got you on that. Another thing right, I... <laughs> but not to mention Adam and Eve, so Cain and Abel, and then they have some sisters. I mean, are they romantically hooking up? That's, <laughs> that's kind of gross. Like, I don't like to even think about that. You know, I saw something the other day that because blue eyes are a gene mutation, all blue-eyed people are actually related. So (laughs) it turns out you are my dad. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, another thing, I I truly cannot understand this, and I do not want anyone to try to explain it to me because I will, my mind will just shut down the metaverse. What's going on there? (laughs) Like, I... What What is happening? Like, you can get an apartment in the metaverse? Like, why would I pay for a fake apartment? <laughs> right. 
I don't understand that either. I know you don't. You don't understand cryptocurrency. I don't. I don't get it. The, One time I was dating a guy who tried to explain it to Brian. All right. So first of all, we're <laughs> we're at dinner. All I remember is uh, this man. He says he's made his money with cryptocurrency. So I said, "Explain this to me." My Julie's with me, and I was there too. All right. So. At this point, this man with this long, <laughs> illustrious black hair then takes a rubber band out of his pocket, puts it in his mouth as he reaches back to make a little man bun, and then he puts that rubber band <laughs> in his hair. And at this point, you've lost me. And then he gets into the, and I said, listen, I really need you at to explain this. I've heard other explanations. Explain it to me like I'm a six-year-old. He did not. <laughs> the best part? It's a scam. And that was at the end, he said, was that helpful? And you were like, yeah, totally. And then you texted me afterwards. <laughs> Just so you know, I still don't know what cryptocurrency is. I mean, it was absurd. Yeah. yeah. That, but apparently this guy has a lot of money because he, he <laughs> says he likes, this is the guy with <laughs> cryptocurrency and the man bun explaining this to me, told me that he likes to just drive to the airport and, and decide at the airport where he's going. Yeah, he went to Africa for like two months. Mm-hmm. So y'all stopped dating. <laughs> that was because I didn't like talking to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah he, it was wild. <laughs> Anyway, back on things I don't understand. <laughs> okay, so cryptocurrency, check. Okay, I live in Oakwood, and just the habitation in Oakwood of squirrels. <laughs> I, I walk every day in the morning, and just squirrels are everywhere. What's going on with them? I don't understand squirrels. They're constantly, like, ready to take risks. <laughs> Uh-huh. I, I see them walking wires. They're on the side of the building across the street here. They're running in front of cars. Just like, what's wrong with them? Uh-huh. They seem to have a death wish. <laughs> yeah. They really do. But you bring up something interesting about Oakwood. What is that neighborhood's fascination with Black Lives Matter <laughs> bumper stickers all over their cars and they're nice cars. I mean, you can't throw a dead squirrel in Oakwood without hitting a Volvo, but that Volvo will have 59 stickers Black Lives Matter, I love everybody, <laughs> Republicans go to hell, the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing. You either drive a Subaru or you put the bumper stickers on. We don't need both. We know. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I don't understand why so many white people seemingly love black people, <laughs> but there are no black people that live in that neighborhood. Yeah. POV. Black Lives Matter sign in the front yard right in front of your $2 million house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If we're just doing a hate on Oakwood time, I don't understand my neighborhood's obsession with golden doodles, doodles or whatever doodles. Like Get them the up. poodles are getting around. Yeah. <laughs> just generally, I think in like rich white neighborhoods, like the golden doodle is the quote like stamp it official dog of Oakwood. Uh huh. 
But you like living in Oakwood, right? Oh, I love, I love that neighborhood. Yeah. You'll always see houses you've never seen. Like, I walk it every day, and I always see something new. You could buy three houses in Cary for what you pay over there in Oakland. Well, you're forgetting one small thing. <laughs> What's that? I don't want to live in Cary. <laughs> <laughs> Cary gets a bad rap. Cary's not bad. Cary's, Cary's a pretty great town. Yeah, put it on the side. Not bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't allow signs. Not good, but not bad. <laughs> It'll do. (laughs) (laughs) That's the thing about Carrie. We don't allow signs. Yeah. You know, if they are signs, you have to have... They have to be certain colors. Beige. Yeah. We're the town of beige signs. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. One day when you get old... We celebrate color in Oakwood. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think we should build affordable housing right in the middle of Oakwood and then see how many signs out there say they accept everybody. I don't know if I've said this before, but I live in townhomes and the townhomes are on one side of Person Street. If you need to close your eyes and picture this where the Krispy Kreme is, the other side is homes, expensive homes. Mm -hmm. And those folks went to the city council to try to ban the people who live in the townhomes across the street from getting parking permits as residents of the city because they didn't want them parking in front of their houses. They didn't want your crappy cars being parked in front of their houses. Oh, that's rich. Mm -hmm. I'm sure they threw a fit when the townhomes were initially built too. Oh, yeah. And if you tried to build an affordable townhome, Like maybe you didn't use hardy plank or you didn't use brick, you used siding. I bet they would go crazy. Yeah, lose their minds. And then talk about how important affordable housing is. Just not here. Sort of a not in my backyard Mm -hmm. situation. Rich people, what are you going to do with them? I don't know. You tell me, beach house. (laughs) (laughs) It's a very affordable beach house. Mm-hmm. Very affordable for anyone who is a top two percenter. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of the beach, I am going to the beach this weekend for Father's Day. I'll be back on Sunday. Are you going to see your kids? I am going to see the kids and hang out. And, you know, it's going to be great. I'm looking forward to it. And I'm looking forward to next week at the General Assembly. Oh, we're very sorry that we flew off the edge at the end here. <laughs> But next week, hopefully, there'll be some budget talk. We'll be moving towards the end of session. And we will be winding down session, maybe. Who knows? We will talk about it all next week. But until then, call your dad. Tell him you love him. And remember to do politics better. But House Republic, did you just pick your nose and wipe it on my chair? No. No, I was picking at my... Mm-hmm. I, did not, mm-hmm. I did not do that. I would mm-hmm. never do that. What do you mean you would never do that? You pick your nose hairs and wipe them on my arm. <laughs> <laughs> I was picking. Okay, okay. Like, I don't need. Don't pick at your skin, okay? Does it, does it look like a mole? Because I was feeling. 